welcome to Coming Up for Air, the Allies in Recovery podcast, with hosts Laurie McDougall, Kayla Solomon, and Dominique Simone Levine. Okay, ladies, good morning. How are you this morning? Good. Good morning. We're going to jump right into it. Kayla has a discussion topic that she'd like to bring up. And it sounds like a wonderful topic to me. So Kayla, what are we going to talk about today? All right. We're going to talk about the three questions. That's what we're calling it. Feel free to come up with another name. During Passover, we have the four questions. In Allies in Recovery, we have three. So this is a topic that my group has become obsessed with, which is the Wednesday night group. And there's three questions. So the first question is, what am I feeling? The second question is, what can I do about it? And then the third question is, what am I actually going to do? And so let me give you a little context. But now you have the three questions, and I'll we'll be repeating this many times, so don't worry about writing it down. But the context is that when you are facing a very difficult situation, or you're in the middle of a crisis, or you're having strong reactivity, or you just plain don't know what to do with your current situation. So basically, it's difficult confusing, overwhelming, and you're feeling this intense sense of reactivity. The first thing that we're going to ask you to do is, you know, if you could see my chair, I pull my chair back because I have wheels, but you pull back and give yourself space and time. And when you're in this space and time, and we're going to give Carolyn some, she keeps bringing them up. So Carolyn in my group is the person I'm going to credit with these three questions. But the first question is, what am I feeling? That's the check-in part so that you literally stop what you're doing and you check in. Am I feeling sad? Am I feeling anxious? Am I angry? Am I feeling hopeless? Am I overwhelmed? And you just give yourself a chance to actually know what you're feeling so that instead of reacting to the feelings, you're identifying them. And that that slows things down tremendously so that you get a sense of where you're at and what's happening for you. The second question is, what can I do about it? Now, here's the interesting thing. You do not have to be rational in this question. I actually like when you kind of go wacky on this one, because I feel like we need to take it full spectrum reactions on this. So it could be like your person is on the streets, and they haven't called you in four days, and you're completely freaking out. And so you're like, what am I feeling? I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling panicked. I'm feeling anxious. And then what can I do about it? I could call every police department in the state. I could call every hospital. I could get in the car and drive to every neighborhood that I know that they're selling drugs. I can have a defibrillator and go pick up 20 things of Narcan and make sure I'm ready to find them possibly dead. Or it could be I could call them and yell at them and pick them up and tie them up and bring them into treatment. So feel free to just go nuts on this one because really that's what you're thinking anyway. And then the third question is- So let me, let me just, before you move on, let me just say, those aren't nuts. Those, those are not not nuts. Those are the things that we family members are thinking and we do not consider them off the wall In fact, many of us do them, right? We call every police department. I have gotten in my car and driven down to 
driven down to the worst possible neighborhood that I could find and find the drug dealers and, you know, brought my son's picture. Like, so I'm going to tell you right now, those are not off the wall ideas, but also I agree with Kayla and we do talk about this in our groups. We do this when we do a functional analysis and when we do our problem solving strategy, I tell everybody, right every possible solution down, even if it's, I'm going to take them and fly them to a deserted island with supplies for a year with no ways of getting <laughs> off the island, right? Yeah, put it down because that's exactly what happens. It brings a little bit of a chuckle to you and it starts to calm things down a little bit. All right. So Lori, I appreciate that clarification, but I also appreciate the the level of nutsness that I'm talking about, which is the desert island. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really what I meant by the nuts part of it. it or it's like, you know, I'm going to take them hostage and, you know, so, which is also not necessarily nuts, but you're going to like list all of your options. Like if you could do anything, what would you do at this moment? So you go through it, list every possible action you could take at this moment. And then when you have exhausted that possibility list then you go to what am i actually going to do about it and by the way that in includes and possibly needs to focus on yourself okay it could be that the answer to this question is i am going to go for a walk i am going to call a friend i am going to sit with my partner and have a chat about what to do about this i am going to do nothing right now. I know that's inconceivable. And wait, I'm going to wait is actually one of the possibilities. Or it could also be that the list that you just did, what can I do about it? You go back to one or more of those things and you decide to do them, but you'll have done it without the reactivity at that point. And that's the point of this process is that you're slowing things down so that then you actually are thinking clearly as opposed to reacting. Right. And ultimately, I think what you mean, Kayla, is that it includes self-care, but also I think all of this is about you changing your behavior. We want different results. We want our, be our loved one's behavior to change, but we have to change our behavior first. So it's what are you going to do about it? Meaning, what are you going to do with your behavior? How are you going to change your behavior up? And like you said, so that you're not reactive, so that you're responding in a more logical way. That's what it is. It's all about us changing our behavior and indirectly influencing our loved one's behavior with the understanding that our loved ones may not respond, especially in the beginning, the way we want them to. The outcome is not the point. Right. And this is one of the things that I've been really thinking about with allies is that that we are working on process, not outcome. And that process is about change. Process is about awareness. Process is about what choices do I have? How do I choose to behave? How do I choose to engage? How do I choose to take care of myself? How do I choose to interact with you? And outcome is they're going to be doing, they're going to be okay. I'm going to get them into treatment. And we don't focus on the outcome because we don't have control over outcome. We have control over process. I often tell families that actually the outcome you want to focus on is, did I make the change? 
Because if you made change, then you have the outcome that was the original goal anyway. The outcome is not determined by your loved one's behavior or what your loved one does. There's always going to be loved ones that don't bend to your influence. You don't have 100% control or influence over your loved one. You have more than most because you're close family, you're, you care, and you're committed, and that's truly important for this process. But um, what you can do to yourself, for yourself, that we suggest is helpful also to your loved one is exactly that, but you can't control that outcome. And so that's why two-thirds of families are able to get a loved one to engage in treatment if they've been resistant to going to treatment. Not 100%, but two-thirds. And some of that is simply because the timing wasn't right. When it was done traditionally, craft was 12 weeks. Beyond 12 weeks, you weren't being counted if you got your loved one into treatment after 12 weeks. So, so it's very important to, to recognize that everything we say has to apply to what you're able to do, what you can be comfortable enough to do, and that the outcomes of your loved one, you are providing the very best immediate environment around your loved one to provide him or her the direction, the light, the opportunities, the options, the doors to take a different path. That's your role. And, and to change how you respond and react so that it gets heard, it gets a yes, you get them in. And that's that's the whole ball wax right there. From the moment you can't figure out how you're feeling, which I'm still kind of stuck back there, because I think I was well over 30 years old before I had a clue. Every time those therapy people would ask me what I was feeling, it was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And And some people literally don't ever understand it. Can you maybe, Kayla, explain how you begin to feel or understand what you're feeling quick enough to do what y'all are suggesting? So this is a great question, Dominic. I appreciate it because I was one of those people who people would be like, how are you feeling? I'm like, fine. Or, okay. Or as many bar folks do is they describe what's going on in their lives or what's happening with their loved ones. So that's a huge aspect because part of it is lots of us were trained to be focused on other people and not ourselves. Well, we're trained to do and not feel. So there's a lot of folks that we're working with that that's their issue. I'm really happy you asked because I actually, as a therapist, had to learn how to know what I was feeling. I could often tell what somebody else was feeling, but I had no clue with what I was feeling. And so here's how I did it. And by the way, this is something that many, many men struggle with, which is why it's very hard for them to be in relationships with women and women are like, tell me about how you feel. Let's talk about feelings. And they're like, I, you're speaking a foreign language. And then here I am, I was doing the same thing. <laughs> so first of all, I really believe in getting one of the feeling wheels, like, and I'm, I'm holding mine up right now, which is color coded. And there are feelings on here that I don't even know what they mean, because this is a very complex feeling wheel. But the idea is that you start out first with your body. Okay, your body is the messenger. Your body knows what you're feeling because it, you cannot leap past that. But we don't let ourselves feel it. We feel like tense or we feel agitated or we feel discombobulated inside of ourselves or tight. So you start with that. You go to your body and you check in with your body. Like my jaw is tight. I feel like my stomach is queasy. I feel like this 
tension in my chest. So you start with that. It could be more than one. And then what I had to do was I was like, I would ask myself, like, what is my body trying to tell me? And it often, the answer was this vague, something just doesn't feel right. Something's not okay. And so I would be okay with that. So that you're basically taking this journey with yourself. So you're starting out with what's happening in my body. What's my body telling me? And if it's vague, then you just stay with it. And so I would often say to myself, what just happened that's causing this reaction? So I would go backwards a little bit to see why my bite, like what's going on in my life that might be causing this. And then I literally, this was just me personally, I would be like, if that happened to somebody else, what might they feel? <laughs> Cause I'm like, they know I don't. So I'd be like, well, they must be angry. And, and the other thing is for me personally, I was very, I, as I like to say in my family, anger was our one emotion. And we had a thousand ways to express anger. Like I'm pissed off. I'm annoyed. I'm cranky. I'm furious. I'm enraged. But we didn't do happy, sad, grief, not, none of the other ones. So I had the anchor vocabulary down. And one of the things that I did, this is just me personally, I stopped myself from using the word anger or anything related to it because that was my go-to. I feel exactly the same way about depression because it's this global word that is not helpful at all. So what you do is you take these global kind of reactions that you have and then you break it down. So for me, anger is a reaction as opposed to a feeling. That's my just my interpretation because anger gives me power, but there's something underneath it. So I would go to, okay, how am I really feeling? And I'm like, I feel disappointed. I feel hurt. I feel insulted. I feel scared. And that's the same thing with anxious. So if you're anxious, go to an emotion underneath it, which is I feel scared or I feel hurt or I feel unsettled. Sadness too. Sadness yes. often comes from fear, all of these other kind of deep rooted things that you're actually feeling that is difficult to put words to. And I'm just going to add one thing based on what you just did, Lori, which is when you do this out loud with somebody they often have more of a feeling vocabulary than you do or possibly do. So I'd be like, oh, you could be scared if you're hurt or you could be, if anxiety could be sadness, that made no sense to me. But then when I would, when somebody else would say, maybe you're sad and I'm like, let me sit with this. Cause that's another thing that we don't do is give ourselves space to process in this particular way. And then I'd be like, oh, I actually feel really scared or I feel lonely or I feel abandoned. And then the other thing that I'm just going to add as a clinician is what I often find myself to be very helpful is to also connect this current moment with my past trauma and reactivity. And then it, it kind of unhooks the, the past from the present, which makes it easier for me to respond to the present. Because I, I talk about these banners, okay? So when I feel upset, I have, we all have these banners like, nobody cares about me, I'm alone, I'm not important, you know, I'm too much, I'm not enough. You know your banner. It's like, 
I'm sorry, I didn't realize this was going to become more clinical than I thought it was, but hopefully this is helpful to people. So the banner is old. The banner is this trauma disturbance adaptation that you evolved to survive your childhood. And even though I'm not important, sounds like it's not helpful to survival, it's how you frame the world so that you could cope. And then you start behaving in a way to manage that. Okay. And then ironically enough, you spend your life looking to make that right. And that's the dysfunctional adaptation. So what we want to do is identify it so that we could start unraveling it and letting it go. Because that's not helpful in your current response, but it's very pervasive for all of us. So once you identify it, you can control it. And that's part of the stepping back as well. So the banners often come with the emotions. If you hurt me, I have this shtick that I do all the time, which is I would be better off alone. I'm going to go live in a little one-room apartment with a, an exposed light bulb, and I can live on $20 a month. You know, I don't need anybody. I'm fine. I don't do well with human beings. How ironic, right? This is my shtick, but it's very old. And it's this young baby person, child person that's reacting to what's ever going on in my current life. And so I need to see that so that I could put my little kid aside and then I have more choices as in my adult self. So really all of this is about giving yourself time and space to take things apart. Because really what, what reactivity is about is there's current, very scary, difficult things happening. And there's also very old things that get attached to it that make it even harder to calm down. And so every time you start having more awareness of yourself and more consciousness of your stuff, then you get to unravel it and have more, more realistic choices in the moment and possibly a little less reactivity or panic. This ties back to what we kind of started talking about in the beginning. So how do I describe this? When working with a lot of families in the groups, we talk about pressing the pause button so that we're not reactive. Just don't react, get yourself some space, but you're not gonna be in a good headspace when you walk away. And oftentimes we as family members, I know I did this in the beginning, I would walk away, but I wouldn't do anything, any kind of work on anything. I would just walk away frustrated and angry and be spinning out of control, right? Just totally spinning out of control because I didn't understand that I needed to work on these things when I do walk away. So it's important that family members understand that, yep, Pressing the pause button is just the first step of creating an emotional bubble for yourself so that you're not getting hurt by what everybody is saying, or maybe you did get hurt, but you have the opportunity to go and work on that and work on your own emotions and understand what's going on in here and what's driving you to react. And once you understand it and you're doing the work that Kayla is talking about, so press pause, walk away, ask yourself the question, what's going on here? Why am I feeling? <laughs> what am I feeling? Try and understand those feelings. And just in doing that, actually, you start to kind of deflate emotionally what's going on inside of you. Once you understand, oh, I'm feeling anger. Why am I feeling anger? I'm feeling anger because I'm scared. 
I'm really afraid of what's going to happen on the other side of this situation. It really does help you to calm it down. And then that, that next question is, what could I do? So then you list out all those things that you possibly could do. And just listing them helps you to realize you have lots of different options. Typically, when we're in a reactive state, we think we've only got two options. It's this or that. It's black, it's white, right? And then when you, when you start listing out all these incredible things that you possibly could do, you start to realize that, oh, there's a whole bunch of gray in here. I don't have to react. I don't have to say, get the hell out of my house. Or, you know what, you're driving me freaking crazy and I'm not doing this for you anymore. You know, all, all these reactive, totally absolute things that we're going to back up on later on once we do calm down, right? So instead of reacting, step away, get the space, start to work on yourself. What am I feeling? What can I do about it, right? What can I do about this situation? Now, what am I going to do about it? What is it that's within my power? What we're talking about is becoming incredibly empowered because now I understand how I work a lot better. And two, I am really in tune with the different things that I can do about this particular situation. And when you do that, it's the most amazing thing yeah, you might not get your loved one into treatment. I mean, Dominique talked about, you know, there's that 30% of people that just aren't going to go there. But the most amazing thing is you've created a better relationship with your loved one. And that brings a lot of the chaos out of the situation in your home, outside of your home, but just in that relationship with your loved one is improved. So you're feeling better, your loved one's feeling better, and now you've got a better relationship. And that alone, it's a form of recovery for everybody. It is. It is recovery. You are actually working on both of yours recovery in those moments. And as family members, you're pretty much doing all kinds of tasks that treatment centers would be doing. You're doing the case management, you're listening, you're you're connecting, you're trying to help solve issues, you're following along as they're going in and out of different treaters. It's imperative that we get a handle on ourselves, but I have to say it's not easy to do, right? I just want to underline the one thing that I, I got all of what you said, and I realized, you know, you got to sit around and do a lot of processing in the beginning and find the time for it, but it, maybe you write it down. Or what I liked was just what just happened. Kayla said, ask you, ask yourself what just happened, um, that all of a sudden my body's tight, my chest, I can't breathe, I feel kicked in the gut. What just happened? If I start there, I actually am tying the event to how I'm feeling. And from there, it seems easier to me to say, oh my God, that just put me over the edge. I'm overwhelmed. And I'm I'm so scared when I get overwhelmed because I'm going to fail. And, you know, I have this old banner that says, you know, I'm a failure. I'm not going to be capable of doing this. It's all going to fall apart. So I was able to do that just by starting with what just happened, because that's really concrete for me. And I can usually tell you what just kicked me in the stomach. She just said something. Okay. What did she say? Well, she just insinuated blah, blah, you know, and you can start to at least go, okay, you know, you are over a certain age at this point. And maybe, you know, it's not all about you. Maybe she's 
you can start to try and, and tease out a more realistic perspective on it and get rid of your demons, the the whites and the blacks and the evers and the nevers and the the negatives and the to just find yourself a, a calmer place to land. Well, and I want to just point out that as I was listening to both of you, that one of the most prevalent, there, well, there's several prevalence, but what we haven't talked about is guilt and shame, because those are feelings as well. And guilt is about a particular behavior that you engaged in that you don't feel well about. And then shame is actually much larger and has to be dealt with on its own, which is what we call a character assassination. So it's basically guilt is I did blah, blah, blah. And shame is I am. So I am a terrible person. I am responsible for this person's demise. It's global and it's negative and it feels overwhelming. And if you don't start working with it, it will color everything that you do and make everything really difficult because we know that our loved ones are going to get angry with us. And if you're carrying around guilt and shame, it's like a receptor site when they start doing that to us. And then we completely lose our power because they start making it about us and then they don't have to take any responsibility. Now, I'm not saying that you don't look at, need to look at your own behavior and make modifications, but you don't want to go way back and hold on to it. You're looking at now, what can I do now? How am I being now? Whatever happened in the past, you can't do anything about other than change who you are, change what you do. I often, personally, a lot of what I do is I tell myself, these are my initial thoughts and initial feelings. So in other words, those are the preconceived ideas and beliefs that just kind of flood me, right? That I actually don't have any control over. It, they're established from when I was younger, which is what Kayla has talked about already and kind of explained. But I also tell myself they're just feelings. They are not facts. And I also, in telling myself, you can feel that way. Feel it. It's okay for you to feel that way and feel it. But that doesn't mean that those feelings get to take over your life and control everything that you do and say um, in the future. Feel it. Okay. Now you've felt it. Okay. Now what? And I suffer from, and I think this is your banner, Kayla, but I call it, I have imposter syndrome. I do it all the time where I say, when are people going to find out that <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about or, or what I'm doing, or, you know, that people will realize someday that I'm, I'm just a fake. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fake. I'm, I'm a hack, you know, this kind of thing. I think it's the same thing, this this idea of a banner. I'm not worthy. It's also a way that I, I tend to isolate myself as well. I often fantasize about, well, I'll just go live in an apartment and have no interactions <laughs> with human beings. But I also think, I think it's really important. One of the biggest messages we can send out today to families are that when you press that pause button, it's not a matter of just walking away. It's a matter of walking away and the difficult work begins. On yourself. On yourself. And, and that's so interesting. I, I really love the reframing that you're doing with this, which is that pause is the beginning of something else, which is pause is like you're taking your, your scope, which is externalized to your loved one, 
And that's when you're going to step back and you're going to turn it in on yourself so that you can look at yourself and be with yourself and check in on yourself and do this work. And I know it sounds overwhelming and difficult, but I will tell you, it is the most rewarding thing that you could possibly do because this is what you have control of. This is the the part of life that you can control, which is the work on yourself. That's what Allies has really taught me more than anything. Not that I didn't believe in working on myself, but in the world of substance use and this disorder and disease and all the stuff that people are dealing with, with this, you know, obsessive behavior and thinking, we get to heal ourselves. And by healing ourselves, we have a different relationship with the people in our lives. And it's so underrated because we're so busy trying to get them help that it feels like there's no time and there's this is a luxury and I'm trying to keep this person alive. But when we change the frame to this is the work, this is how we help the person, this is how we are the most effective selves that we can bring to our loved ones and help them heal. And by the way, role modeling you know, that we're not perfect and that we have work to do and that we're investing in our own work. And, you know, lots of the families that we're talking to actually are sharing their processes with their loved ones and saying, look, you know, I realize I'm not good at this. So I realize that I've been imposing this on you. And I realize that my anxiety is not helping and I'm really working on it. So I'm sorry. That is the most powerful work you could possibly imagine in service to relationships. People see that and they feel it and they can see you calming down and they want what you have. That's the model of the 12 steps actually is by you doing the work on yourself, people want what you have. It's attraction versus promotion. Yes. And also if you think about attraction in general, if people are drawn to you and drawn to how you are and drawn to how you're working on yourself, they're more likely to engage with you in a different way. And then you become this example of working on yourself actually is helpful and not so scary. I'd like to add for all our listeners out there, I know you weren't able to see it, but there are emotion wheels. They're called emotion wheels or feeling wheels. All you have to do is Google them. We do this in the evening meetings as well where we pull it up and we take a look at it. So just go to Google, put in emotion wheel or feeling wheel. And there's just hundreds of them out there. You can print them out. You can look at them on your computer. And the reason why you want to have one and you really want to look at it and get familiar with it is actually most people only have three words to describe your feelings or your emotions. And you really want to up your vocabulary when it comes to that. And you may not think it's important, but it is important to you, but it's also important to your loved one because you should start labeling your feelings for your loved one, for other people to understand what you're feeling. And again, modeling, because what Kayla and Dominique talked about earlier today when they said they weren't able to identify what they were feeling, that they're discombobulated with that particular question. I, on the other hand, you can ask me any given moment of any point of the day, and I can tell you exactly how I'm feeling. Lori wrote the feeling wheel. (laughs) (laughs) But I also get it because I am married to someone who struggles with this particular piece of it. He really scratches his head when someone asks him how he's feeling. 
but if you start labeling your feelings and you start labeling someone else's feelings for them, it will help them to identify it. So in other words, saying things like, you know, I'm angry right now and I need to go and calm down helps them to understand physical cues, verbal cues, facial expressions. But also when you say something like, it seems like you're really angry right now and I can understand where that emotion is coming from. You'll often see people stop and think, oh, am I angry? No, I'm not angry. You know what? I'm scared. But what you're doing there is you're inspiring them. You're getting the other individual to think about what they're feeling and you're helping them to identify their own feelings as well. It doesn't seem on the surface as an important piece, but it's extremely important. Yeah. And just, I just have to add one thing to that, Lori, because I'm the anti-angry person, like in terms of using it as a descriptive. So, so if somebody's coming at me angry, like if my daughter's like saying that to me is I'm going to say, I imagine you must be feeling insulted by me right now or disappointed or frustrated. That's only me because it's too easy for me to use anger. And I also think that our loved ones are high on the anger scale. And so they don't have the more subtle emotions that they are expressing. And that's why to break it down a little bit more. And I I think what you're saying is massive because if you start playing around with this feeling wheel, then, then it's like, I absolutely had no choice. I had to do it because I did not have the vocabulary for myself. And then you're, you're like, well, how am I feeling? And you look on there and you pick one and it's a wheel. So it's like spinning the wheel. And there's subsections, right? Oh my God. It's, it's a lot. Yes. I didn't even know there were these words, truthfully. And it's one of those things that, you know, you may be so used to using anger, but if you look at like the subsections of anger, it'll say fear and, you know, all these other added pieces. I have it. So it's jealous, aggravated, enraged, mad, envious, annoyed. It adds these up to your vocabulary. Yeah. Is it time for me to summarize? I think it's time for you to summarize. Okay, so we started out with the three questions, which I want to make sure that everybody gets. So I'm going to speak really slowly, contrary to popular belief. The first question is, what am I feeling? What am I feeling? Because I assume people write things down. If you're driving, please don't write, because I don't want to be responsible for your demise. And then the second question is, what can I do about it? And you're listing everything that you could possibly do about this particular situation. And then the third question is, what am I actually going to do about it? Which could be something with yourself, or it can be taking action about the other person. But I'm going to add something, because what we just realized is that if necessary, you start the whole thing with what just happened. Because I think that that's a very legitimate question. It's like, what's just happened or what's happening? is a really good way to start this. And so it's now the four questions, which brings us back to Passover. Uh, (laughs) Different questions. Well, it's been great talking to you ladies again today. And I just want to remind our listeners that we have our 10 day challenge on the website. It's doing half of the modules in a 10 day period. And you get an immersive craft based training, a one day training head on over to the website and check it out. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Have a good week. 
Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.